Mr. President, I'm not saying we wouldn't get our hair mussed, but I do say no more than 10 to 20 million killed, tops, uh, depending on the breaks. I will not go down in history as the greatest mass murderer since Adolf Hitler. Perhaps it might be better, Mr. President, if you were more concerned with the American people than with your image in the history books. General Turgeson, I think I've heard quite sufficient from you. Thank you very much. Well, welcome to the 100th episode of Take Me to Your Reader, discussing twice as much adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And as promised, perhaps ill-advisedly, we decided (laughs) to cover two books and two movies. However, uh, then we subsequently found out it was actually three movies. And uh, so, yeah, that's what we're going to do for 100 episodes. Hey, congratulations, you guys. 100 episodes. Thanks, man. Good on us. We're yes. cent- where are we centarians now? Centenarians? Oh. Something like that. Scent herrings. <laughs> <laughs> herrings do have a distinct scent. Yes. So for this episode, we are going to be talking about Red Alert, which was a 1958 novel by Peter George. And we're going to be talking about Failsafe by Eugene Burdick and Harvey Wheeler, which was a 1962 novel. Now, Red Alert was adapted into Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, uh, which was a 1964 film which a lot of people I'm sure have heard of. Mm-hmm. And then Failsafe was also a 1964 film for some reason later in the year. And it was just called Failsafe. And then Failsafe was adapted again for a live television kind of teleplay, I guess they called it. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we're going to talk about all that. And why are, why are we going to talk about all of this, Colin? Because you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> right. And read my mind. Why did I want to? Because the lawsuit. Correct. James is correct. Yes, I win. Woo! What do I win? Oh. Yes, because I, I had heard that there was a lawsuit, or I had read it someplace, that did, there was did, a did lawsuit. Did you read about the lawsuit at all? Well, so th- that's, I mean... Because uh, I can tell you why uh, it, why uh, Failsafe was released in the same year, but later. Yeah, 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 me too. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's okay. a result of the lawsuit, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the question is how many lawsuits there were, because I've, I've read a couple different sources that say there may have been more than one actual uh, legal case going on. Um, read, one of the famous okay, ones was yeah. more to do with the movies than the books. Uh-huh. I read there were two. So, yeah. And the the reason is because in the very broad strokes, these books are quite similar. They, they tell similar stories about an sort of uh, a mistaken bombing of Russia or of the USSR, uh, where the US is attempting to recall it and has to work with Russia to try to <laughs> stop the bombing from happening. And uh, there has to be talk between the leadership of both nations and talk about uh, tit for tat damage, exchange of damage, how to avoid war essentially. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about, uh, you know, what merits we think the case might have as we get there. Yes. Yar. No previous experience from any of us on any of this. Heard nope. of Dr. Strangelove. That was it. Okay. And uh, that's the same with me. I, I had heard of Dr. Strangelove. I had never heard of Failsafe. I'd never heard of the movie Failsafe. Definitely never heard of the 2000 movie either. Which is funny because I, play, I played the video game right alert. <laughs> <laughs> I do own uh, Command and Conquer the first decade. It's a big DVD pack of everything up through like Tiberian Sun, I think. Nice. So Red Alert, the book has nothing to do with Command and Conquer, just for the record. Nope. No, I'm sure it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They'd get sued if they were. <laughs> yeah. Right. Where do we want to start? Should should we just go in chronological order? Couldn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. We had talked about when we were going to do this, we were going to try and break it up and make it easier on me uh, to break up the editing instead of doing one massive episode. And so we were going to talk about both books, and then we were going to talk about the movies and mishmash it all up into one episode. But that didn't end up happening, and we're recording this 
the day before I'd like to post it. So we'll see if it actually gets posted on time, (laughs) (laughs) depending on how much editing I'm willing to do. So I'll just, I'll just apply the audacity truncate silence and just mix it down to MP3 and send it out. No editing, no editing. Uh, yeah. Colin recommended no editing the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I think you should do it. Uh, <laughs> let him hear the good, the bad, and the ugly, just like the science fiction. <laughs> right. <laughs> Podcast episodes at their best and worst. <laughs> you definitely want your 100th episode to be not putting your best foot forward, right? Right. People either like us or they don't. And 100 episodes in, you know. It oh, by the matter. way, uh, we have a relatively new listener, a different Michael in Australia, who actually goes by Mike, who uh, sent us uh, an email. Uh, recently. And so it was it, nice to hear from folks. So hi there, Mike. Shout outs to Mike. Hola. Howdy. And he said he was trying to catch up with us before we got to our 100th episode. And he did email me and confirm that in, in fact, he is completely caught up. Wow. Yeah. Dang, so, that's hardcore. That's dedication. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, why don't we go ahead and talk about the two books? Because I want to talk about how similar they actually are. Or aren't. Or right. aren't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think they're extremely similar. Personally, I, I think I think you could go both ways. Yeah, which is what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, you don't think they're very similar. <laughs> no, interesting. I think in the broad strokes, maybe uh, depending on how well they're stroked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, but they definitely read very differently. They do read very differently, and that that's that's where I would have a hard time calling one uh, a plagiarism or whatever of the other or some right. kind of violation in copyright is because mm-hmm. they read so different. Yeah. Um, so let's, why don't we just jump in and talk about red alert first. Okay? okay. All right. So this was originally published in the UK under the title two hours to doom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was published under a pseudonym, which actually or pet name, I suppose, uh, Peter Bryant. So if you ever find it and you, you wonder, I thought they said Peter George. Well, Peter Bryant is the UK author. Peter George was Welsh, and I believe he was um, at least connected to the Air Force, the Royal Air Force in some way. But um, dead giveaways in the book are that he uses the word row instead of fight <laughs> or <laughs> argument. Right. And, uh, and he puts that unnecessary you in color. Yeah, I said unnecessary. I did. Come at me. Tis. Tis. Yes. Judgmental. Unappropriate. Yeah. We got to teach the English how to use, how to speak English and spell English. America. <laughs> um, I also noticed at some point that he talked about a 0.45 pistol instead of just a 45. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. 0.45 is not wrong. <laughs> well, if, if you just write 0.45 with the actual numbers, that's one thing. But if you spell out all the words, it's wrong. Oh, I don't remember him spelling out all the words. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. He did. No, I I will say that this, (laughs) so I I bought both of these for the Kindle ages ago because they were both, I think they were both uh, part of the Rosetta books into film series Mm -hmm. and they were cheap. And so I I picked them up knowing that I'd like to do them at some point, Mm -hmm. but Red Alert had a lot of transcription errors. Did you notice that in yours, Colin? I guess we all read the same thing, didn't we? Yeah. Yes. I I noticed it too. Uh, No, I didn't notice it wasn't as bad as like a last Babylon or uh, <laughs> the illustrated man, but um, it but was just were, various yeah. like ands and ofs that were like F's and uns or something. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of, that yeah. kind of thing. It was, it's not like it, it didn't make reading it prohibitive. Uh-huh. Um, what do we think of this book? I, I mean, I guess we, should we, should we talk about the distinctives of this one? Well, if we're going to compare the two books, I don't think it would hurt. Okay. So what are the distinctives of this one, Colin? Since you, you don't think that they're as similar as I do. So what is distinctive about Red Alert? Well, yeah. Maybe we can come at this from a different angle. 
Okay. And, and let me know what you think about this. Why don't we start at the highest points of commonality and then okay. spin it backwards until they begin to diverge? Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So uh, highest point of commonality, the United States sends a bomber into Russia with nuclear bombs with the purpose of attacking. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, the bombs Mistakenly are- attacking. Mistakenly, yeah. Now it's an unauthorized. Well, more attack, more specifically, the the bomber is is heading for its kind of turnaround point and continues on past it. Right, that's that's where everything kind of kicks off. Right. In red they, alert, it's called they, the X point. In failsafe, it's called the failsafe point. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were you saying, James? Nope. No, I was, I I was mistakenly remembering. I thought they had used the term failsafe in both actually, but maybe I, I don't. No, care. in Doctor Strange Love, they say failsafe instead of X point. Ah, okay. That's where my yeah. confusion is. Okay, okay, that makes mm-hmm. sense. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, in Red Alert, the planes are sent deliberately. Yes, by right. a human being. And then the method of recall is obscured by the same guy that sent the in the planes. Yes. Okay. In yep. Failsafe, they can't send the recall notice because of an equipment failure. Right. Mm, no. Yes. Yep. So they have a UFO. They send the planes out to their failsafe points. Uh one of the pieces of equipment for flight six fails, and so they cannot send the recall notice, and so they go to the failsafe point and keep going. Mm-hmm. No, it's because they were being jammed by the Russians, is why they couldn't. Right. To call yeah. Back. That's not. Nope, that's nope. Not the equipment a... failures described pretty pretty clearly. There's a big puff of smoke, and so that, that piece of equipment, the equipment fails. failure is what caused them to go bombing to, in the first yeah, place. Yeah, to get the order. Yeah, the the equipment failure is what caused the order in the first place. Mm-hmm. The recall. Yeah, so that, was was hindered by the fact that they couldn't contact the planes because they were being jammed by the Russians. Yes. Yeah. So that that is um, a difference, right? Where in Red Alert, you have a general who decides for a variety of reasons, and I do want to talk about that, um, to to send the attack. And whereas in Failsafe, there's a bank right. of computers that is send the command the and control, right? Yeah. And something happens, some, the magic smoke comes out of something, and because people smoke right. in the in the computer room, nobody notices. <laughs> yeah. um, and so that order goes out to them. But then, yeah, once they're on that mission, the Russians notice it and start jamming them. And so um, the American authorities can't recall them because they can't get through to them. Right. But what happens when the Russians stop jamming them? They they didn't though. They, they did. No, they, they did. did but it was already too late. Oh, they could have sent the recall notice. It was the only thing that would have worked. Talking to the president doesn't work. Nothing else works aside from sending the recall no, notice through I, the, the failsafe machine. And I they don't never think do. They it. had a recall notice through the failsafe. No, that was they, that was in Red Alert, not in failsafe. <laughs> no, in in failsafe, they they should have been able to send the recall notice through the failsafe machine. But something something was damaged on that uh, that plane. That plane never saw combat until. Uh, before, uh, I guess I missed that after point. the jamming right. had been ceased. Huh. Now, in Red Alert, the plane gets bait all to pieces, and they, they barely yeah. get there, yeah. and they drop their bombs in the wrong place. Yeah, I was going to say, in, in right. Failsafe, they were, they were already well into Russian territory and already straight up into their mission, and to the point where any contact would have been seen as a Russian ruse, and so they weren't supposed to listen to any of it. It was all no, yeah, but that but the plane, rest right? of the fleet, the the rest of the planes that were in the air, got the recall order, right? Or am I thinking of no, no, no? Okay, we're thinking we're getting them the wires crossed because in Red <laughs> Alert you have a lot of different planes. This and is only the problem one with the two bucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is why there was a lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. In Red Alert, they take damage to their radio, and so they can't 
receive right. that recall order. Right, right. right. Alert, yeah, correct. And in yeah, failsafe, yeah. they can't send the recall because the machine the machinery is damaged on the sending side. And because they're being jammed. Because right, they but, do yeah. But but yeah, again, yeah. after the jamming is stopped, they still won't accept it, right? They won't accept it, but yeah, because it's against mission yeah. parameters. Yeah. Right. I think they would have accepted the recall if it had happened much earlier. It's against mission parameters to take any verbal orders because all voices can be faked. Right. Right. Agreed. There was no recall notice sent via machinery, though, in, in Felsa. I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I'm saying they can't do it because of mechanical failure. Yeah. Okay. Man. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> they, are, um, they are so similar. Holy crap. <laughs> well, yeah. They, Just I, keeping them straight in my head is like getting difficult now. <laughs> well, no. In Red Alert, they can't receive it because they eventually take a bunch of missile damage. Yeah, yeah. I remember mm-hmm. that part. Yeah. By the time they find the code, to, the prefix to send the message in the first place, they already taken damage to radio and they're screwed. Right. 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 In Red Alert, yeah. you have the one guy. And let's let's talk about uh, General, what's Quimby or Quinton. Quigley? What's Quentin. that? Quentin. 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 Yeah. Where he is he nuts? Can't tell. Yeah. You do you, we do know that he is gravely ill, mm-hmm. terminally ill. Well. Yep. Is it nuts is it nuts to believe the Russians are actually in attack and he might as well preemptively do it in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> right. I, I mean th- so this book reminds me like I could see it very easily being the first chapter of Alas Babylon where at some point somebody decided we can win this thing if we go now. Mm-hmm. And so Quinton decides if I send this and it can't be recalled, the only logical recourse is to send everything, everything and to wipe yeah. out the Russians capability of striking back at us. Um, mm-hmm. And that's with all the data that he has, that makes sense. And so, yeah, in, in red alert, there's a three digit code that they have to get in order to send any information, right? Right. And once they have that code, then they can send it. And it just happens that the uh, Alabama Angel, which is the main ju- the 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 main uh, plane that we have action on, has damage to their equipment by then. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. But then in in Red Alert, of course, he doesn't know, but the president knows that the Russians have a secret doomsday device doomsday in the yeah. in the Urals, right? Right. Where it's it's. Uh, Explosives or nuclear explosives jacketed in cobalt. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Which that makes it seem like uh, a prequel to On the Beach. <laughs> you guys haven't read that, but that involves cobalt nukes. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. 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 Uh, where it's especially damaging fallout. Right. And so now it, it's extremely important to avoid a Russian retaliation. And, mm-hmm. and so they begin to work with them to try to shoot down the Alabama Angel. Right, right, and and the Alabama Angel has really cool defensive systems, and it has uh, it has something they call the brain in it. Mm-hmm. Yep, which Where's is a computer. <laughs> uh, anything else about the distinctives between the books? Because in both cases, uh, the American leadership starts talking to the Russian leadership and saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, here's what's happened. We don't want to go to war. How do we solve this thing?" It uh, right. it ends differently. It does. Well, um, so before we get to the ending, I think the beginning we can be distinct there, and that you have human failure, human error, yes. versus mechanical failure. But both are, uh, I guess, legitimate causes to have caused this in the first place. I know that sounds redundant, but I couldn't come up with a better word at the time. Um, and I, I kind of could sympathize, or not sympathize, empathize with Mister Quentin, General Quentin, mm-hmm. I guess, where he feels like. America's trapped by Russian right. aggression. And it's it's only natural that they would lash out after that such level of anxiety he feels sure. 
uh, uh, because of the Russian aggression. And this is only this is the only viable solution he sees to you know win it without. I think mass casualties. Right. On both sides. Yeah. And I mean, it's the yeah. America doesn't shoot first. Well, that means that you shoot second and in a nuclear war, um, that's a losing strategy, which both books do go into. Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's like leaving it up to humans and, or, or machines to figure it out is, is terrible both ways. And I, I feel like both books are arguing that right. we just shouldn't do it in the first place. <laughs> yeah. But you know, in one case you do have the, yeah. the human element is the problem, right? The, the fact that, Right. One general can make this right. decision is a big problem. Yeah. Although, but interestingly, only only humans can fix it. Right, and that's the the on the other side. Right, you have it. Yeah. Uh, well, the computers yeah. are a problem. Handing this over to Skynet is the problem, or Colossus you know, <laughs> is the problem, or Whopper. <laughs> right, or yeah. Whopper. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For during uh during both movies, I was waiting for like uh Jud- uh Terminator Two like Judgment J style right graphics to come through. I'm mm. like, I know it's not going to happen because the movies and yeah. you know how old they are or whatever but I'm like i was totally just picturing that in my head you know totally sarah connor grabbing on the fence and <laughs> turn everybody's turning into ash yep <laughs> turns out that uh general quinton was uh actually a t-1000 all along right <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably um, a t-500 it could be could be yeah t triple eight was the um was what they always had in uh sarah connor chronicles Oh yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh, so, uh, what did we think of this book, though? We, did we even talk about overall thoughts on this one, Colin? No, we haven't yet. Okay, uh, but no. I mean, it, it was uh, it was tightly written. It was intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely falls into the thriller genre. Yeah. Now we've we've talked about books with kind of bleak endings or about potential ends of the world not being necessarily your cup of tea. Uh, no, not especially in in modern times, recent times. Yeah, today. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how did this one read for you? Did you enjoy it at all? Or because of the subject material, was it a no-go? You know, I was trying to figure out whether Quentin was, was sane or insane. Yeah. Um, it, it's a very different world than the one we live in where, um, you know, like during the sixties, uh, you know, people had all these drills about what do you do if there's a nuclear exchange? Well, they, they want right. you tucked under your desk so you don't become an obstacle to kill somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's not really going to protect you. So the bodies are in nice <laughs> orderly piles. Yes. Uh, but you know there was a time when a limited exchange might have been possible, yeah. And you know they didn't have ICBMs to retaliate with, and so a first strike has some kind of limited sense aside from the fallout mm-hmm. which circles the planet afterwards, right? Uh, so I mean, yeah, there was that. That part was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know the the whole the brilliance of uh, Quentin's strategy. I mean, it was it was very solid, right? They had this. Uh, attack case, condi- or what was it? Uh, attack code R or something? R, attack code R. Yeah, mm-hmm. where basically it's it's we've been compromised. You can't trust anyone, even if they look like they're American, even if you think right. it sounds like the yeah. president. It, it's it's an imitator. Mm-hmm. Um, so very 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 smart. It's just he was lacking that crucial bit of information about the doomsday device, right? Which makes a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 it sure does. At the end, makes a strong case for open source. Yeah, open sourcing information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, one dude having the nuclear codes. Um. Well, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> Indeed. Although I did read that during the later years of the Reagan era, where his staff basically knew that he had Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. um, that the code, the codes were zeros, zero, 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 zero. It's a kind of a code an idiot puts on his luggage. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was the only code that I think they trust he could remember. Wow. 
But, you know, he was also allowed to do something else. He was allowed to send the only other people who knew the codes away on a hunting trip. Right. Right. And Mm -hmm. that was also smart. Procedurally, that should not be allowed to happen. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed the book. I I thought it was a a quick read. Um, It was pretty gripping. So it it got in there and didn't waste my time. What do you think, James? That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> about the book i mean oh, oh yes yes <laughs> um agreed the same thing yeah it was, it was a fast read uh pretty like what colin said tight knit you know kept you going the whole time mm-hmm. um as opposed to failsafe i was gonna say <laughs> that's a pretty good segue for <laughs> failsafe failsafe having a lot of similar stuff in them and then also a lot yeah. of just dead boring stuff other stuffs mm-hmm. yeah so like yeah I, I think you wanted me to come Tell this story um, <laughs> what we were talking about previously. Um, so I had read uh, Red Alert over two weekends, like two Sunday afternoons, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the second Sunday afternoon, I finished Red Alert and started Failsafe. And arguably for me, Failsafe was actually a quick read as long as I could actually read it. <laughs> 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 so I made about, I made it about 20% through Failsafe on Sunday afternoon after finishing up with Red Alert. Mm-hmm. And I had planned on, you know, I was going to read it, continue reading it on Monday. I'd figure I'd be done Monday or Tuesday um, <laughs> after work. And so, so every day after work, I, you know, I go downstairs, I sit in my chair and I'd, I'd start reading Failsafe and I, I freaking fell asleep. Yep. <laughs> Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, four days in a row. Yes. I freaking tried to read Failsafe and I fell asleep every time. Yep. And I remember cause the last time it was, I think either Wednesday or Thursday, um, where I think I had fallen asleep, but my hand had somehow made contact with the screen mm-hmm. on the Kindle. <laughs> and I was, it like ran forward, like some yep. like 20 something, 30% or whatever. I'm like, and when I woke up and read, I'm like, I don't remember being this far. I don't know what's happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember being this far. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I had the exact same thing happen to me. So you kept falling yeah, asleep in was, the page. I, well, no, I'm the exact same falling asleep <laughs> while trying to get through that book. Yeah. It's just, just I, I actually didn't mind necessarily all the characters. The individual characters were interesting, but yeah. in the context of the overall book, it was, it was kind of like unnecessary. It broke up the flow of the book really, really badly. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. You know, it's like building yeah. up the dread and then all of a sudden you shift over and you talk about Tom Bombadil for 50 pages. What? Oh, oh, wait. I'm <laughs> um, sorry. That's a different, it's a different book. It's not 50 um, pages. <laughs> <laughs> feels like it. <laughs> there was a part, there was a quote from the book that almost made me cry. Okay. Let, let me read it to you because I wrote it down. They're talking about Grotichella mm-hmm. and it's briefly, he permitted himself the luxury of letting his mind wander, which I knew meant <laughs> there was going to be 10 more pages of the same junk we had just read. <laughs> yeah. Because here, here's another sample yeah. of what the, what the prose is kind of like. At that moment, the covert, counterpoised world of war was in a waiting stage. Its war dance had come to a high level of preparation and then stood arrested, held in a miraculous balance, a marvelous, intricate suspension brought about by suspicions, intentions, information, and lack of information. Wow. And that's what you get to read. Nuclear poetry. It sounds like a really, really bad sex scene. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I was thinking like really bad open mic night at the cafe for poetry. <laughs> oh man, yeah, nuclear poetry. <laughs> yeah. So this is failsafe. The book, like if you cut out all the rabbit trails, mm-hmm. I th- I think it's it's 
pretty compelling. And like the last 40% of the book yeah. really flew by for me because all the characters had been introduced. And Same so you did Yeah. You, you had warned me about that after all the characters had gone by. And yeah. exactly. It was, it was pretty much 60% through. Yeah. Uh, it just flew. Yeah. Yeah. I finished I like, it in like oh, one night. I think great. I stayed up until like one in the morning finishing it. Cause it was, yeah. cause it was very gripping, but you know, the, uh, all the rest of the time talking about how Greta Shell is a man's man who hooks up with chicks in his car and then smacks them across <laughs> the face. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and and the other guy who gets up at six in the morning and uh, exercises and shaves and moves his bowels and then heads into the office. You know, like, oh. <laughs> Sh- shower and shave. It's, it's very military. Oh, very really? military. Okay. Yeah. The yeah. other thing in this one is that I felt like in Red Alert on Alabama Angel, you kind of you got to know that crew a little bit, even though it's a short book. It's not high. It's not long on character development. Oh, the crews were much different. Yeah. 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 Whereas in this one, the crews are almost like robots. Robots. Yep. Sorry, yeah. robots. robots. It's, it's robots. the 60s. So Yeah. Um, well, and I think the bombers yeah. are significantly different. The The crew yes. from Red Alert sounds like a classic B-52 bomber with a crew of seven or eight. And mm-hmm. the failsafe right. bombers sound like jet bombers. Like three. Where they talked about yeah. they were all really jammed in there. Yeah, three. Just three, three mm-hmm. pilots, three people operating. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, that Grotichella literally named the premise of Red Alert in one of his talks where he's talking about the madman theory, <laughs> where, where strategic air command commanders yeah. go berserk and right. try and save the world from communism. Mm-hmm. Sack. Yeah. There was a mention of, of the doomsday tapes. Do you remember that in Failsafe? Which is some kind of computerized failsafe device that uh, does a mutually yes. assured destruction, but on yeah. the American side. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep, oh, yep, right. Yep, yep. They're going to launch one way or the other, even if they don't get the codes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the fact that Failsafe actually mentions who the Russian premier is at the Kiss off? No, Khrushchev. It's, it's actually, <laughs> it's Failsafe, the book actually n- name checks the actual uh, president of Russia. It doesn't, oh, really? it doesn't mention Kennedy. Um, That's interesting. But, no, I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize the name was that. No, yeah. No. I'm yeah. not a Russian historian. I'm not a commie historian, Seth. Right. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I guess <laughs> that that may have been just part of enhancing the kind of verisimilitude of it because the sure. book was actually but then why originally. Why would they say Kennedy? <laughs> yeah. But Failsafe was originally serialized in the Saturday Evening Post and it was during the Cuban Missile mm. Crisis. Mm-hmm. And so when you look up the Wikipedia entries for the two books, it says that Red Alert is a novel. It says Failsafe is a best selling novel. And so I wonder oh, if just like the timing of it really um, was in favor of failsafe because it was on people's minds. Yeah, yeah, true. Well, yeah, the fact yeah. that they would pick up that book to adapt it. Yeah. Right. Well, now we can get into the adaptation. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I did want to mention, you know, some other points of commonality is that there is that communication between the Americans and the Russians trying to figure out what do we, what do we do here? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Russians asking right. for information and help shooting them down. And you have, uh, sort of an attempted coup by the second in command in failsafe. Right. Um, yes. Be, because you you have that scene where, and you know, it's especially uh, in the movie, right? When when uh, mm-hmm. the the Vindicator bombers first penetrate Russian airspace and and the uh, defenses come up, and right. the Vindicators just brush it aside, and there's all this cheering, and um, whoever the main guy is, and the general, yeah, he's yeah, like, and failsafe is like, yeah, we're not. It's yeah, not a football yeah, game. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you can kind of understand it, right? Cold warriors, they, they were yeah. trained that the other side is, is bad. Right. And that right. this is not just a war between nations, but of ideologies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some talk of, well, what happens if your bombers get through, you know, are you just going to say, oops, sorry, mistakes were made or, or what? 
Yeah, there's a, um, I think especially in failsafe, because it tends to wind in that direction. It's, you know, yeah. Khrushchev says that politically he has to have something to give back to his generals. Otherwise, he could be overthrown and they could actually start a real war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the case was the same for Red Alert. Well, yeah, right? in Red Alert, the, the Russian premier is like, yeah, if the bombs drop, then you need to, you need to sacrifice the city for us. Right. They just and chose so, Atlantic City of all things. Right. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you mm-hmm. can have that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Granted, I guess they weren't bombing Moscow. Yeah. But in, in uh, Red Alert, they don't actually kill anybody. Right. right. Well, right. they kill a very yeah. limited number of people because the bombs have been damaged and they're way off target and they're way too low. Right. Yeah, but they don't, they don't go. They don't you know, detonate. Yeah, the, yeah the, main, the main charge in yeah. the bomb doesn't explode. But the, you know, so it's an atomic mm-hmm. explosion instead of a thermonuclear one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and it, they're de- they're destroying a military base instead of a city, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And in yeah, I, feel like, safe, I feel like failsafe took the uh, stakes mm-hmm. a little bit higher. <laughs> yeah, actually, a lot higher, probably. Yeah, a lot higher because not not only do they go straight up from Moscow, but they actually like let it happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, they can't stop it, right? Well, yeah, I, I understand their, yeah, their yeah. last ditch effort. Plot, plot, plot could have stopped if they allowed it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like they could have sent the recall notice after they fixed the machine. Mm-hmm. It, it was funny because in Red Alert, you know, you have that bomber crew that, of course, they can't receive the recall of any kind because of their damaged radio. And so they think mm-hmm. that they may be the only American bomber that gets through, you right. know, that, that, right. that getting their mission done might be, you know, it's, it's everything that they can do, right? And so I find myself really admiring those men, um, realizing they're not going to return from that mission. But, but they're uh, completely wrong. The but movie. they're completely wrong. Yeah. So... Yeah. So failsafe. Yeah. Uh, overall thoughts on on that book. If you could cut out two thirds of it, I think it would be just as good as Red Alert is. Yeah. It'd make a better short story. <laughs> It'd make a better short story. <laughs> right. <laughs> or novella, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I I agree with Colin. I mean, at at 170 pages, it would absolutely fly. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be tremendous. But mm-hmm. at 277 right. pages, no. It, yeah. It's, it's it's really just that first 60 percent. You just got to like yeah. concatenate that. And then you got yourself some decent yeah. content. Yeah. Now, you know, if they had used that time to build up characters so that they're going to interact in a certain way, that, I could see that as being valuable, but mm-hmm. that never happens. Yeah. You get the long introduction on the translator, and then he only ever interacts with the president. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> so, the same thing with uh, uh, General Black and his wife and Grotoschella, mm-hmm. and whoever their, their professor was that his wife and Grotoschella shared. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's the other thing here that you, you get with General Black. You get the the introduction of his nightmare, recurring nightmare, where his mm-hmm. wife thinks yeah. maybe he should just retire, and and of course right. the nightmare comes true at the end. Because do we want to talk about the very end? I mean, if we're going to talk about the movies, we have to, right? Um, yeah, we do. Where he is the one who commands the bombing mission that that destroys New York, where the First Lady and the entire family of General Black are currently, um, and yeah. then he commits suicide. So. It's a real downer. Yeah. Um, and I like a downer ending, but <laughs> not always. No. I think it's a, it's appropriate in this case. Yeah, I mean, so both of, both of the novels yeah. have some anti-war message to them, right? Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. I'd taken a screenshot in, when I was reading Failsafe, and there, there's a good conversation between the president and the Russian premier toward the end, right? Saying, uh, the president is saying, what makes this intolerable is that so many will be killed so quickly and to no purpose and by an accident. And the accident is, is of course, because of the result of the policies of, of uh, brinksmanship, 
So, yeah. So right. both of these made me really think about growing up in the Cold War and just there was a point where, like you said, Colin, there could have been an, a limited nuclear exchange. And then at some point, it got to the point where there were so many nukes that any war would end up destroying everything. And yeah. once we got to that point, it's like everybody by mutual agreement went, well, we're never going to use those um, because we can't uh, right. because of the results of it. But but before that happened, uh, you know, it's still kind of surprising that we never, that it never happened. Well, and as, uh, well, we should come back to this topic when we talk about the second failsafe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so and maybe we should talk about the lawsuit now. Yeah, we should. Um, but w- one thing, just to make sure people are aware that I'm aware, it's not like we're out of the woods, right? There's still thousands of these weapons. It, right. And there's more yeah. players. Yeah. 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 That's what I liked about the second failsafe movie. I'm, I'm glad we actually watched that and uh, they gave that little Oh, that kind of ending card end. that they put up? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. When you think, uh, yeah, because some of the countries on there, I mean, uh, I guess we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we'll move into talking about the adaptations because that's where the lawsuit comes in, right, Colin? Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick comes along and wants to adapt Red Alert. And the story goes that as he's kind of making notes on on what to do, he's just kind of stuck, struck by the absurdity of it. And so every bit that he's trying to write starts coming out as absurdist black comedy kind of stuff and eventually just decides to go with it, um, (laughs) which is an interesting choice um, to turn this very serious book, Red Alert, into a satire. Yes. To the point that most of the characters are renamed Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) with names names that are, we'll go into them. We'll we'll talk about them. But uh, Colin, do you want to talk about the lawsuit? So, yeah, I found an article from 1963 that talks about the lawsuit and it describes this as being that Kubrick thought that his movie was too close to failsafe the book. Mm-hmm. So he and Peter George, who helped him write the the, the uh, script for Dr. Strangelove, sue to stop failsafe from being adapted. Right. The The article has this, this beautiful quote in it. It's from Time Magazine. It says, uh, and it's talking about the differences between the two. Mm-hmm. Red Alert is a lean, spirited yarn with a minimum of philosophical flack. Failsafe is longer, almost obviously padded out with moral, political, and military asides aimed at either slowing up the story or heightening the tension, whichever way you look at it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the ending of it is that the lawsuit is settled out of court. Mm -hmm. Columbia Pictures, which is making Dr. Strangelove, also agrees Mm -hmm. to pick up Failsafe, but to release it afterwards. Right. So first comes the, the black comedy, which is, you know, now internationally famous. Yeah. Uh, even if you don't know what it is, you recognize the name Dr. Strangelove. Mm-hmm. And Failsafe is this other, more serious take on it, which kind of faded into nowhere mm-hmm. until about 1998, when George Clooney, of all people, says, hey, let's do a live television performance of this movie. Yeah. So I, I think this lawsuit <laughs> is complete bunk. There are two kinds of generally two kinds of lawsuits in the United States that you do from a civil side. Mm-hmm. One, you're actually trying to get justice uh, for something. And in the other one, you're just trying to tie up your opponent right. with uh, mm-hmm. uh, legalisms to prevent them from doing something that they probably are going to get to do, but it's going to cost them money to do what they want to do and it's going to delay them. Yeah. Right. And that's what this lawsuit to me seems like. Yeah. Well, yeah. given your lead up to the lawsuit, it's exactly what it sounds Yeah. Like. And, and I, I completely <laughs> agree that in terms of the the reasons behind it, yeah, it, it is without merit in that the intent was not pure. Um, on the other hand, 
I do find the books quite strikingly familiar. And I could, I could argue that somebody could decide to adapt Red Alert and to go, I don't buy the idea that a crazy general could do it. But I could see that um, we could start to rely too much on computers and there could be a computer glitch, right? If failsafe didn't exist, if the book didn't exist, I right. could see somebody adapting Red Alert and deciding to flip that bit from crazy general to computer fault. And you still have exactly the same thing happen where you have the general saying, well, we go, we, we finish this off. Right. Um, so, you know, adaptation means change. That's, that's what I think could happen, right? <laughs> if failsafe didn't exist, but it does. Right. Yeah. So then if you were going to, if you're going to make that movie, you're adapting failsafe. So. Which wouldn't exist in your case. Right. If, if it exists and you decide to, to flip that in red alert, well, you've just changed from adapting red alert to adapting failsafe. Yeah. But, but in the fifties and sixties, then that means that there are, uh, there are only a couple of ways that those planes, if you're going to write a book about a nuclear attack from the United States to Russia, yeah. they're only going in there for one of two reasons. They're sent mm-hmm. or a machine sent them, a person sent them or a, a machine sent them. Yeah. Right. Right. And since yeah. those are the two options. Well, or it's retaliatory. Well, you know, yeah. it's the United States initiates the attack. First. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the, the lawsuit was just Kubrick wanting mm-hmm. to get his movie out there first because the first one out there was going to be better received. Right. And even though when you look at it, um, Failsafe was quite a well-received movie. It's just, it didn't make a lot of money. Right. So it didn't do well no. at the box office, but the critics liked it. Um, so, and we'll talk about that when we get to it, but let's, we'll start by talking about Dr. Strangelove. Um, yeah. This is 98% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it, uh, it made about $9 million against about a $2 million budget. So it was, yeah. it was a success. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah, five uh, times your budget's pretty successful. Yeah, uh, directed by Stanley Kubrick. It is starring Peter Sellers, George C. Scott, Peter Sellers, yes. Sellers. Slim Pickens, Peter Sellers, and <laughs> Sterling Hayden. <laughs> and Peter Sellers. <laughs> and Peter Sellers. No, he, he was only in there for three characters. He was initially, right. they wanted to have him play four characters. They wanted him to play King Kong was the name of the uh, Major Kong, uh, the pilot. Oh. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. Wait, for, the, the for, cowboy? Yeah, uh-huh. but I think Peter Sellers actually <laughs> injured himself on that set, and they decided to recast it. So that was hilarious. Um, yeah, I can't imagine the movie without <laughs> Slim Pickens in there. Yep, yep. <laughs> so right off the top here, uh, we have covered one other cubic film. We we covered two thousand one. It was a movie that J- James right. and I liked, and Colin did not like. Um, right. So I'm curious, James, did you like Doctor Strange Love? Parts of it. Parts of it. Okay. Uh, overall, um, meh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it's because I knew going into it was supposed to be sarcasm or not, but a lot of mm-hmm. it was just kind of like lost on me. Yeah. It's right. just like, it's sarcasm that just didn't make sense as sarcasm. I, it, sure. Sure. Or satire. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's just like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was just lost on me. So in that regard, it was meh, but mm-hmm. Peter Sellers and Dorsey Scott, especially Dorsey Scott. He was yeah. fantastic. I, I thought then, he was great. And, and then the the cowboy riding the missile. Like, oh my God. Right. <laughs> so that was the best part of all three movies. <laughs> yes. That um, was fantastic. <laughs> so before Colin jumps in here and, and mentions that he did not like the movie, um, spoilers, <laughs> uh, I will say I rewatched it yesterday because I kind of coming out of it, it the first time. Are your eyes I, okay? I, yeah. Um, <laughs> I 
I was kind of in the same boat as James, where I'm like, I had heard this movie was really, really funny. And I watched Siskel and mm-hmm. Ebert's review of it when it got a re-release, and they both said it was hysterical. I'm like, I didn't find it hysterical. I found yeah. it very funny in places, yeah, but not laugh out loud funny most of the time. And so right. I wondered if I had missed some of the humor. And I remembered thinking, okay, George C. Scott was pretty funny. So yeah. I went back and watched it again and focused especially on him. And he really gave a wonderful performance. Oh, yeah. He was At least fantastic. I thought. Yeah. Um, which was controversial because uh, Kubrick wanted uh, George C. Scott to to go to like 100. And George C. Scott was only comfortable <laughs> at like 50. <laughs> and so he, he evidently told him, no, okay, I really want you to ham this up just for practice so that we can get you somewhere between 50 and 100 for the real take. But then he kept the 100 takes. <laughs> um, and, and so George C. Scott was pretty mad about that. That's awesome. Um, one of my favorite bits was... It, it was shortly after the gentleman you can't find in here. This is the war room, which I think is a great line. Um, George C. Scott actually does a, he tumbles and kind of does a backflip almost. Yep. And, and it was unscripted. Right back up. <laughs> yeah. He, but he went with the take and kept saying his lines. And so Kubrick's like, we keep that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I thought that was pretty um, fantastic. Was yeah. Like, Look at the big board. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyhow, I, I did enjoy it quite a bit uh, the, on the second pass mm-hmm. i caught more of it i th- i thought it was interesting um but colin rain on the parade <laughs> uh a, a lot of the humor comes from peter sellers yes and uh when he's the president he's dead straight he is uh i really like this his english officer when, when he's dr strangelove <laughs> and it's really interesting to me they call the movie dr strangelove when dr strangelove doesn't show up for like two-thirds of the movie no no he's got like eight minutes of screen time yeah and so w- right. when he's a nazi yeah I, especially today, I don't find Nazis funny. Yeah. <laughs> right. If, if the advice of this guy is to encourage a war, mm-hmm. it, he, he should be, you know, removed from the staff room. It, that is the point, right? You have all that, these, I don't these find it funny. warmongering people in, in this room and they're all just lapping up what this Nazi guy is, is telling them, even as he's attempting to restrain mm-hmm. himself from giving a Nazi salute. Funny is Nazis driving a gremlin over a cliff that's about to explode, and one one Nazi turns to the other and says, "I love you." That's okay. funny Nazism. Okay, <laughs> Nazism saying we should go attack the Russians. Mm-hmm. Well, Zeke no, we should, we should go do eugenics experiments in mine shafts, right? Yeah, that that's not funny. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the other a lot of their humor is so subdued, mm-hmm. right? You you have like George C. Scott kind mm-hmm. of doing his his over the top George C. Scottness, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the the general of the base, General Quinton, is doing his insanity with body fluids. Uh, you mean General Jack D. Ripper? I mean, whoever he ended up being called. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought was yeah. funny, mm-hmm. the rename of him. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, yeah, the, the president. But the president was so deadpan the yeah, whole time. It, you don't pick up necessarily that the president's yeah. name is Merkin Muffley, um, <laughs> unless you read the cast list and and um you know the russian premier is dmitry kissup kiss off um kiss off is that what it is kiss off yeah, kiss off, yeah. um george c yeah. scott is buck turgidson which is basically like buck boner yeah <laughs> so there's there's a lot of innuendo yeah. in the movie um mm-hmm. you know and to me right. that there's a message about masculinity in there and about you know we got to be better bigger faster america you know um the whole when the Russian guy, when the Russian um, ambassador, whoever it is, talks about the doomsday device and the, the cobalt, and uh, as he's talking about it, George C. Scott kind of leans over to another guy, boy, we got to get one of these doomsday devices ourselves. You know, I wish we had one of those. Um, and it's just, that's the brinksmanship stuff, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, we have to have 
something bigger and better. And even at the end, right, right, where the bombs have gone off and Strangelove says, well, you know, this is bad, but now we can put people down mine shafts and, you know, uh, 10 attractive women to one man, you know. And, <laughs> and they're all like, mm, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I like yeah. the sound of that, you know. And George C. Scott, of course, jumps in and, and says, well, w- what if the Russians do the mine shaft thing and they do it better than we do? Mr. President, we cannot allow a mine shaft gap. And it's just, it's that same mentality <laughs> going on there. And then it's making fun of that, um, that kind of mentality. So it's biting yeah. sat- satire there. Um, and uh, I don't know, I enjoyed it. Supremacy yeah, concerns. Not, What's that? Yeah. yeah. Not not my cup of tea. And so yeah. it, it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. You yeah. don't think so. Don't think so. Um, one thing that I was really interesting here is that you have a movie that's not necessarily, um, what would you call it? Uh, broadly comedic, right? It's satire. And a lot of the humor is kind mm-hmm. of subtle. I did like the, you know, I'm sorry too, Dimitri. I'm very sorry. All right. All right. You're sorrier than I am, but I'm sorry as well. I'm, I, I'm as sorry as you are, Dimitri. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought that was funny, but, um, most of the stuff that was aboard the, what we would call the Alabama angel, um, right. The bomber, everything but slim Pickens was straight across dead serious. So like all of the stuff about arming the bombs, there was not a bit of humor in it. It was like, like it was just this mechanical, you know, by the book thing, which I thought was interesting and right. showing when they showed the exteriors of the attack on the base to try to get the code back from, um, General Jack D. Ripper, right, was also right. completely without humor. Now, from the inside, yeah. anytime it went to the inside, then it, it brought the humor back in, where he's having the exchanges with uh, Group Captain Mandrake, um, and of course, Mandrake <laughs> is supposed to be an aphrodisiac, right? So, yeah, yeah. Mandrake's that guy's fantastic. Yeah, um, <laughs> so I thought that was an interesting choice to have to confine all the humor to every place, but the actual mechanics of what goes into the actual. Mm, execution mm-hmm. of the bombing run except for slim pickens <laughs> so. oh, i was gonna say i felt like so when you, when you were mentioning the inside of the bomber earlier mm-hmm. i felt like everything being serious and you know practical or whatever highlighted yes. uh slim pickens yeah right? <laughs> so, yeah because the first thing he means- does when, when they get the orders is he opens the safe and puts on his cowboy hat <laughs> I, I, love that. I did like that <laughs> i was i was wondering what he was going for the safe for and or, you know i was expecting you know, like some sort of super secret packet and then like out comes the hat yeah <laughs> That's fantastic. well. Then, then he's like, "Everybody, open your your." I'm like, oh my gosh! Everybody, open your kit where it's got your vitamin pills, your pep pills, your prophylactics, your um, miniature yeah. Russian phrase book and Bible the size of a book of matches. Bible, right? <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, uh, it's an interesting movie. Like I said, you know, if you if you want to see some glowing reviews of it, um, talk to Bendy Bono from the Sci Fi Christian. Actually, they're doing an episode on Doctor Strangelove. I think they already recorded it, but they haven't released it. Um, oh. As we're recording this, oh, really? so I'll I'll be curious to yeah. hear his thoughts about it. I remember he had he had said, "Hey, if you ever do any more Kubrick, give me a call." And I totally forgot. So sorry, Ben. Not that he's listening. <laughs> he doesn't listen to podcasts. So so anyhow, well, that leaves one more movie to talk about. One one more, more movie, movies. and uh, well, yeah, in Two a lot of ways, movies. one more movie. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, Too Failsafe, nineteen sixty four. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, ninety three percent. This one is directed by really? Sidney Lumet, who probably more famous for Twelve Angry Men, which is a great movie. Uh, I just watched that one last year. And this one stars Dan O'Herlihy and Henry Fonda and Larry Hagman and Walter Matthau as the suave Grotichella. Because when I think suave, I think Walter Matthau. Uh, I don't. (laughs) No, I don't either. But he carries it off so well. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's a pretty good performance, actually. Um, 
And it's very, it's just very different than everything that I've seen Walter Matthau in. I'd never seen him in anything but a comedy. Yeah. You know, Bad News Bears. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's where Bad I'm News in, Bears I'm in or that boat, yeah. uh, Dennis the Menace. The Odd Couple. Mm-hmm. What? I had never seen Walter Matthau that young either <laughs> in any movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so seeing him, I was like, whoa. James, did you know where we recognized Dan O'Hurley from? Who played, um, uh, oh, what was his name? General Black. Yeah. He, he was the guy having the nightmare at the beginning, right? It opens on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just can't remember the, yeah. his face. That's, that's Grig yeah. from The Last Starfighter. Really? Yeah. Oh. And uh, oh, and the like the president of Omni Consumer Products in RoboCop. You know, Dick, you're fired. Oh. Yeah. He has a great speaking voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was interesting that here, you know, you still had the scene with Grotichella in the in the car with the lady, but instead right. of pulling over and doing the nasty, he just smacks her across the face. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was one of the Boy, few man. I only wrote down one quote from that movie, and that was the quote. I make death a game for people like you to get excited about. Yeah. Because he's talking about the end of the world and she's becoming aroused. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Did you guys notice who played Senator Raskub? In the original. In the original. Yes. Boss Hogg. Yes. Boss Hogg from <laughs> The Dukes of Hazard. It was crazy. Sorrel Book. Yep. Yeah. It was an A-list cast. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I'd never seen him in anything but- Dukes of Hazard. Uh, Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. And he's a good actor. Yeah. So, he is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so what do we think of this movie? Yeah. You didn't like it, James? No, I thought it was really slow paced and so it's okay. hard to keep up with. And all the interesting freaking annoying ass alarms and sirens and crap. <laughs> there were a lot of alarms. And, and like sirens. they were just they were it's not, so I kind of expected all the alarms to be there because that's how the that's how it goes. That's totally military mm-hmm. style stuff. Right. But there the way that they did the sound was annoying, like Emperor of the Ants annoying. I, oh. I could see that. Yeah. And so I was like, ah, ah, that stop, go away. Bah. Yeah. And then just along with the slow pacing. Mm-hmm. And when you combine the slow pacing with the overabundance of characters, you got character mm-hmm. fatigue hard. Okay. Yeah. Even so though it cut like, out all the character introductions for the most part. It did. It did. But it doesn't help when you have that many characters in that slow pace of a movie. Hmm. All right. What do you think, Colin? Uh, I liked it better than I did uh, Dr. Strangelove. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it was, yeah, not overly fast paced, but it was intense and it was intense from the beginning into the end. Yeah. yeah. And I do remember while watching Phil safe, wondering how red alert would have been not red alert. Sorry, Dr. Strangelove. If it, if they had actually like not made it sarcastic or satire. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like how different would it have been really? How different would it have been? Right. If it wasn't a satire and they actually, you know, adapted mm-hmm. the book. I guess. Yeah. I really liked fail safe. I thought, I thought it was really, really good. And, um, I yeah I never found it boring, but I mean part of that was I knew what was in the book and I knew what was mm-hmm. being cut out and I approved. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so you know I I wanted to talk to you, Colin, about this one because I feel like this is a great adaptation of of a book that has some faults. It is, uh, you know, it's one of those limited times. Now, granted, this is not my favorite subject matter, and in general, when I like the subject matter, I'll take all of it. I'll yes. take more of it. I'll mm-hmm. watch your extended cuts. I'll rewatch them, you know, every year because I enjoy them so much. Yeah. In this case, they had to make the Stephen King decision. Two hours, 120 pages. I know the pages to cut. Yes, very much. And they did. Now, the other thing I should say about Dr. Strangelove is even though I don't like the satire and I don't care for the things they added, Mm -hmm. everything else was highly accurate. Yes. You know, down to like phrases and catchphrases and names of equipment and how everything worked. Mm -hmm. Uh, That part was really well done. Yeah. Yeah, um, 
I, this one kind of falls into the contact bucket for me, where where the faults in the book contact and in failsafe are similar, where it's like dwelling a little too much on some unnecessary details about characters um, and yeah, not on yeah. the story. And so yeah. in both of those cases, I feel like it it trimmed the fat. So well, that was a Jurassic Park for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. That's that's why I like like Jurassic Park better than the book was. Uh, yeah. They trimmed it down and made a very streamlined, succinct movie. And yeah. that's how I feel about the second failsafe. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So failsafe, well, why don't we move on to talking about that then? Yeah. All right. So failsafe 2000 uh, is directed by Stephen mm-hmm. Frears and produced by George Clooney. Yeah. With an yes, introduction by Walter Cronkite. Yeah, um, yeah. Where he kind of he kind of flubbed one of his lines right at the beginning, <laughs> yeah. um, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Well, this. Yeah, we should point out this was not a movie. This was a live production. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you can find this one on. Uh, on streaming services, you just have to rent it. Um, it's only 83 minutes long, I think, 87 minutes long, something like that, because yeah, it had commercials. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like hour 39, yep. hour 38, something like that. I was, I was surprised by how short it was, uh, yeah. given the other two movies. And then, so, and cast here, yeah. Brian Dennehy, James Cromwell, Sam Elliott, yeah. George Clooney, Harvey Keitel, Hank Azaria, Don Cheadle, Richard Dreyfuss, right. Noel Wiley. I mean, <laughs> it's a great cast. amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Top level. Yeah. The acting was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, kudos to the technical team that can pull off working on seven different uh, sound stages and pulling it all together, yeah. coordinating it between all of it. Uh, I-, I would love to see uh, some behind the scenes of how the director does that. Yeah. Because he cannot be in all nine places at the same time. Because they've got to right. switch right. at yeah. just the right time, too. Because if you hold on somebody's face a little bit too long, it might not work. Yeah. Um, I did notice there was kind of an early boo-boo where um, Sam Elliott, who I think, he, is he playing the he senator? Was Rascob, yeah. Rascob, well, he was yeah. from Nebraska okay. instead of New York. Yeah. <laughs> he, he went in for his line um, before uh, Brian Dennehy had stopped talking. But, you know, it just kind oh, of sounds like somebody right. trying to interrupt yeah. somebody, and, and right, that right, does happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting that they cut out the subplot of Major Cassio or Colonel Cassio or whoever was trying a coup. Entirely cut that out. Yeah, yeah. I was, I, I, I kept waiting for it to happen and then it never did. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, but No Nick probably would have kicked the crap out of him. So. Mm-hmm. Well, well, and they only had 93 minutes. They had to cut, they cut a lot yeah, of Casio yeah. out and, and several other plots, mm-hmm. subplots. Yeah. My thinking on this one was it's really, really well done, but mm-hmm. completely unnecessary. Oh, see, this is where you're absolutely mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tell, tell me yeah. why I am wrong. Because okay. the first failsafe movie was terrible. No, first failsafe movie nope. was really good. <laughs> what yeah. was the last? What was the last movie you watched about a nuclear exchange between the United States and Russia? Not counting these. Terminator. Yeah, probably one of the Terminator movies. Nope, that's mentioned in passing. I want. I'm talking about that's the plot. Oh. The plot. Yes. Well, not Red Dawn. Yeah. Uh, I mean, War Games has that as a plot, right? But it doesn't happen. But it doesn't happen. Yep. There's drills. There's drills. Um, it comes close to happening, and there's a lot of tension about it. Probably Colossus, the Forbin Project. Okay, so we're talking about movies from the 70s yeah, or, yeah. or early 80s. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's my point, though. It's it, it's just not relevant in the same way. Ah, uh, this is where you're wrong. Oh, yeah. In okay. the yep. 1950s and Agreed. 60s, there were two countries with nuclear mm-hmm. bombs. Right. Yeah. In 2000, there were seven. Sure. And I don't know how many there are today. And- one of the reasons that we continue to have Holocaust education in World War II education in the schools is so it never, ever happens again. All right. Yeah. And this is a great way of reminding people 
about the the danger of an actual nuclear exchange and why nuclear politics is so important. Okay, let let, let me push back on one thing here though. Sure. Because setting it in the 60s does not say this is still a problem to me. I think if you wanted to do this and you wanted to make it, hey, by the way, there's still a danger here, then you update it and you put this in India and Pakistan or or you do it in some other way to modernize it, to let the modern audience know we're not out of the woods yet. I don't see that this one does that. You know, the only articles I could find about the new 2000 failsafe movie mm-hmm. say uh, exactly what you initially said. Okay. They don't understand why. Right. And and the reason I draw from it is because we need to be reminded because that's yeah. what the movie ends with. It ends with the list of the seven countries that have nuclear weapons. Sure. But my point is, Failsafe 1964 still exists and we can still watch it today. But did you know about Failsafe before we did adap- adaptational science fiction? Shut up, Colin. <laughs> and everybody knows about Dr. Strangelove, which is a farce and a comedy. Yes. True. True. Now, granted, I mean- a lot of people that don't listen to us, which is most of the population in the world, true, they're still not going to know about failsafe and why it's important to think about these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I agree, it's still important. I just I'm not sure that this was the right vehicle for it. And and like I said, yeah. right, I was a TV watching person in the year 2000, and I had no idea this even happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. I give you that one. So <laughs> so the impact of it is much less. True, at least according to me. Right. So. Of course, when I mean, whenever this aired, I was probably in Japan at the time. <laughs> I don't know what what date did that air. No, it said it said April 9th, two thousand. So, Ooh, I was definitely overseas. You were. Yep. You were. You were playing sync the sub. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean that that's a that's a good discussion there, Colin, about that. Now, granted, I, I'm trying to figure out why they did this. I can't believe it's just because George Clooney said so. Yeah, I mean, part of it, you know, there must have been something in there, right? Cronkite talks at the top that this is the first time this has happened in something like 30 30 years. 30 years, yeah. Where they did a live teleplay. Mm -hmm, Right. Yeah. It used to be more common. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's not like, well, I I mean, I wouldn't say that that it doesn't happen anymore, right? Because we've had a couple of uh, TV musicals, some of them less glorious than others. (laughs) Well, yeah, there's been a whole series of them on NBC and, and uh, mm-hmm. ABC has been doing the live Disney adaptations. and Yeah. So, uh, boy, I haven't really thought very hard about ranking things mm. here. I will say I definitely preferred Red Alert to Failsafe, uh, the book. Right. Yeah. I preferred the Failsafe Clooney movie versus overall the other one. <laughs> yeah. Hang on. Let me gather my thoughts here. So, you know, I think I know what I would do. So why don't I go first and maybe that'll help you solidify your thoughts. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. The George Clooney Failsafe. Followed by the 1964 failsafe, followed by Red Alert, followed by Failsafe the novel, followed by Doctor Strangelove at the bottom. Wow. Brutal. Trashing Doctor Strangelove. <laughs> All right, what about you, James? Are you ready or you hmm. want me to go? No, I, I could go. Okay. Uh, I was going to go pretty similar to Colin, maybe, but let's just I'll go with the failsafe 2000. Okay. Actually, Red Alert, because I really I liked the novel. And then. Probably failsafe the movie, Doctor Strange Love, then failsafe the novel. Okay, so yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have different stuff here. Um, hard to say somebody's the outlier. Um, I actually am gonna go Doctor Strange Love first. Um, the best. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it on the the second watch. Um, I found th- the comedy worked better for me because I kind of knew what I was getting. Mm-hmm. And I got mm-hmm. more of it. Mm-hmm. I liked the fact that it's kind of a farce. I liked the the juxtaposition between the the parts with humor and the parts without. Um, 
and I, I think like if, if I was going to watch one of these again, I'd probably watch it just because um, there were things I enjoyed and I know there was still stuff that I missed. So, um, but it's, a, it's close because I really enjoyed the 1964 failsafe movie as well. So it's close between those two. And then I'd go red alert. And then I guess I go failsafe 2000 <laughs> because I can't rank the failsafe novel ahead of anything um, because it was a slog. Uh, and it's crazy because like, right. there's a good book in there. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like a really good book. And yeah, we watched it. Yeah. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) But you'd say it was the 2000 one where, where I feel like I liked the performances better in the 1964 one. I thought it was really better in every way. I liked it. Yeah. I liked it too better. (laughs) hmm. Yeah. I thought, I thought it was a a cheap knockoff Harvey Keitel instead of Dan O'Hurley. No, no. Harvey Keitel was awesome. What are you talking about? He was terrible. Call into the wolf. Yeah. No, I, I thought he was terrible. He sounded like he was reading his lines. So, no. Yeah. yeah he did. Ah. Didn't like him. I liked everybody else. I liked James Cromwell in there. I liked mm-hmm. Brian Dennehy. Um, yeah. I liked uh, I liked Richard Dreyfuss as the president, although I liked, I preferred Henry Fonda. Um, I did like Noah Wiley better as the translator than Larry Hagman. Mm-hmm. So he should have just brought Jeannie in there and she could have fixed it all. <laughs> totally. So, How yeah. do they miss that? Yes. Right. So we have, we have done it, you guys. We have ranked... Two movie, two books, and three movies. Um, but we've never ranked separate books against each other before. Um, we've done story uh, versus expanded expansion into book, but yes, never books by different authors. So that is that is a new thing. Um, so we're now past episode one hundred, and now I can yeah. release the rankings analysis because <laughs> I didn't want to <laughs> release that one as episode one hundred. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, Okay, nice. So we have talked about my asking for having some more time. So certain months where I don't have to read anything, or if I'm if there's something to read, I can listen to it on audio or something short. So we're going to get to a topic that we talked about doing since like episode one, maybe. <laughs> and that is Invasion of the Body Snatchers by Jack Finney. Um, and I have already read the novel. I'm going to actually reread it because it's really short. And what we're going to do is for the episode for March, we will talk about that novel and the first movie adaptation of it. And then in April, we'll do all the remake movies. Okay. And so that way we'll all have a month off from reading for this podcast. Um, and we'll break it up that way. And I think that'll be fun. And then we'll, you know, there will be, there'll, there will still be times where we do normal episodes where we talk about a short story and a movie all in one episode and, and be mm-hmm. done. Um, but there'll be other times where we do something larger. We'll probably do an episode for Dune when it comes out. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so anyhow, that's uh, that's what to look forward to. And I, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners, especially Michael Simshauser, you know, that we've got mentions of both our Australian mics. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, because uh, Michael's been with us from the beginning and, uh, and I appreciate him and I appreciate the, the, the new Australian mic uh, for, for coming along and catching up with us. Um, Sorry about some of those episodes, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep going, keep it rolling, slight change of format, but, uh, should be fun. Right. Yar. All right. Well, um, then until next time, of course, if you're just joining us for the first time, this isn't typical, uh, but you can find us pavementpodcast.com or on Twitter at pavementpodcast. I sometimes tweet from there and then retweet things from my Hugo's thing and Colin calls me out on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, or you can send an email like Mike did to feedback at hugospodcast.com. No, sorry. Feedback at pavementpodcast.com. Actually, I'll get, I'll get them either way. <laughs> <laughs> we will find you. Yes. Um, 
Oh, and if you would like to uh, support this podcast and my other podcasting, you can go up to patreon.com slash Hugo's podcast and sign up to support. I actually threw Colin a couple dollars for uh, movie rental fees. And so thank you patrons for that money. Yeah. I didn't give any to James because meh. Yeah. I like Colin better. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. James has prime. <laughs> right. That's true. So anyhow. All right. Well, uh, until next time, when we will talk about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, may the road rise up to meet you, and may the book always fall open to where you left off. And may we have peace on Earth. Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah. Because if you have peace on Earth, you know the, you know the recall code. Right. <laughs> all right. Let's get this started. We're 55 minutes behind schedule. <laughs> and... Uh, the bombers are scheduled to hit their targets at 8 p.m. I'm running low on whiskey. What the hell? Come on, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I just... might need to go refill. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I took a screenshot at some point on my tablet. Oh, of the article? Of a, of a passage in the book, and I can't remember what the passage was. Which of the, the two books? I think it was failsafe. Yeah, it was failsafe. Oh, and it won't open because I've got no storage space. <laughs> 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 oh, boy. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about it just as a replacement, and you can always clip this out if you don't want it. Oh, if I could remember what it was, I wouldn't have had to look it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I actually re-listened to uh, our first episode the other day, and you know, it wasn't bad. Nice. No, we we talk well. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> it did take us three tries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah.